HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, and uh, this is the first episode of 2017. We've made it. I heard no cheers, no applause. We've made it. Thank you, David. Um, and, and it's only appropriate to kind of light a candle. I don't mean in, in, in the sense of a vigil, but light a candle to kind of just start off the new year with uh, the lovely men of KeepBK.com. Um, and... Let's, let's talk about Keep, K-E-A-P, because it's a street here not too far from Roberta's in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And that's where Stephen and Harry met each other. Well, they met prior, but that's where this project fully formed. So let's talk about how you guys transitioned from Google Analytics and statistical data to making candles. Sure. I'll go ahead and take that one. So... Yeah, Harry and I, as you just alluded to, uh, we worked previously at Google and actually both uh, in in Europe before moving to New York. And Keep Street uh, came came upon us as we both moved in the, the same month to, to the city of New York and were faced with that same same problem of you know where to live. Uh, and at the time, uh, and probably as it still is, Williamsburg was was all the rage. So. We started looking around there and found this this cozy little place on on Keep Street, um, and that that was where we became roommates and and where we would begin to to sort of plot ideas after work late into the evening about what we might do in in our futures. But I mean, what begat what was it? You living together that that started the conversation in the candles, or was it your you know love of candles that you guys professed that said, well, we should be roommates? So we 
Uh, we, we first became roommates because uh, we, we appreciated each other as human beings rather, rather than being about candles. Candles sort of came afterwards where we realized that um, we had a, a candle problem, both of us, that we, <laughs> we, we couldn't have enough candles, that if we ran out of candles, it was a bit of a crisis. Uh, and I think it's, it, it went in that order, sort of that we, we discovered this shared passion for, for this, this object, and, uh, and it went from there. So while you were at Google, you were doing a lot of uh, data strategy with bigger brands, L'Oreal and Unilever. And in seeing those brands, um, which have a vast amount of products underneath that umbrella, uh, it, it was more companies like Everlane, Warby Parker, uh, these very singular things that you were more fascinated about. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say. We, we had uh, you know, been seen a lot of these newer newer brands that were just focusing I think on simple uh, simple offerings uh, that had been sort of more and more complexity in terms of just the offerings that some of these uh, sort of older companies were beginning to have and I think we saw things that we appreciated in their simplicity um, often in their attention to sort of quality and detail and then often sort of a more modern mission um, that went beyond just selling a product to actually you know, thinking a bit more about the world around us and sort of the impact that, that these companies were having. So we certainly, you know, were inspired by what we saw other people were doing in, in other areas. Yeah, and I mean, you're on the subway and you see the Casper mattresses ads and you're like, that's quirky, that's cute. It has some personality to it. Uh, Mise and Knife as well. Um, what was the personality behind Keep? What was going to make it different than the, what, over $2 billion <coughs> candle market that exists today? I think it was it was driven in large part by um, sort of our personalities, and we're both sort of anti. I mean, I think it's it's sort of cliche to say this in Brooklyn, but anti-conventionalists, and we weren't really keen on sort of the big corporate way of doing things. Um, and we wanted just to make a the kind of company that we would feel not just happy to work for, but be happy to give our money to for in exchange for a product. And so that meant doing things in a way that was thoughtful that actually genuinely cared about the environment, that cared about its community, that cared about its employees, um, and that also had um, a personality, a soul uh, that was and a sort of humanity to it as opposed to being something that's, you know, a chain that you see on the highway all the time and it's always the same thing. Yeah. I mean, with that, some of the ingredients are, are very kind of eco-friendly focused. Um, I was looking back at the history of candle making a little bit, um, and I grew up in Westchester, New York. <laughs> uh, and at Van Cortland Manor in Croton on Hudson, you used to be able to make candles with rendered animal fat. Um, I've seen instances of beeswax, though that's quite expensive to actually make a whole candle out of. Um, some kind of uh, whale fat uh, or cholesterol that that yeah. you scrapped all those and paraffin, you know, which is. <laughs> from petroleum refinery. Yep. Um, but you scrapped all those and, and went straight to California for your main ingredient. Yeah, so uh, we work with a with a coconut wax, and sort of our journey to that decision was, uh, was one just of really, like, asking questions and learning as we went. So we started knowing that the candles we, we you know, were burning all the time were either tended to be soy, but, you know, sometimes were paraffin. And so we sort of looked into why those were the, the preference. And we found the, the main thing was really just that they were cheap. They were cheap and plentiful. Um, and going a step beyond that, behind that, it's because they are sort of, they were, uh, 
byproducts of larger industries. The soy industry is a, is a huge industry here in the U.S., and obviously the oil industry needs no no introduction. So we uh, we then began asking questions and looking into these industries and realized that um, both from the industry but also the products themselves, they weren't necessarily best suited to to burning in your home. Um, and that led us on this this journey of looking into other waxes. So we actually experimented with a wax that you can actually get from rice called rice bran wax, which comes from the husk of the rice plant. Um, we tried uh, different waxes from leaves in different plants like carnauba wax, candelilla wax. Uh, we were just trying, you know, all these different uh, sort of concoctions of wax to see something. And then we found a Californian-based company who worked with us on a, on a coconut wax. So, yeah. Uh, I love on your website, you kind of quote yourselves by saying, if, if you wouldn't eat it or put it in your body, why would you want to burn it in your home? Um, and, you know, people may question why I have candle makers on today, uh, aside from, you know, the history in animal fat. Uh, but it, it's, it's the kind of scent memories, the, the things that you evoke that I, I was most drawn by. I, I happened to walk by um, a shop that you were displaying your candles at in Chinatown, and there was one, you know, called Green Market. And it was like, you know, a weekend walking by and picking up your fresh fruits and herbs and vegetables at a green market when, when you put that up to your nose. Um, why, why these specific scents, and what do they evoke for you? So our scents, uh, we, we based our scents on things that we, we heard, uh, you know, people we we knew asking for we we actually spent a lot of time asking people why do you why do you burn candles and particularly why do you burn scented candles and we would hear people talking about wanting to escape from often their small new york based apartments and have that moment of sort of respite um and this tendency to now sort of seek more natural uh, natural settings or things that really would take people back to to memories and places uh, so we sort of working with that big idea began to talk about our own memories and places that we we like to escape to and particularly that West Scent was a strong aspect of that so Green Market uh, came up as one you know that idea of it's the weekend and you finally don't have anything to do except for finally enjoy enjoy nature enjoy smell enjoy food um, and you wander around the Green Market and you know can actually take the time to smell each tomato and and, and sort of pick your favourite one so you know that was a key memory for us um, in both, I guess, our lives and and, and similarly across the other sense, we we sort of discovered that uh, through through that process. Yeah, I mean, in finding out a little bit about your lives, I, I was wondering whether or not there are going to be candles that are, you know, British or in, invoked of you know English tea and and you know like. You were telling me very high fat butter on toast, this yellowish <laughs> butter on toast. And then, you know, Harry, you, you grew up, in, I mean, all throughout Europe, but in Paris. Uh, tell me about this tart that I know is kind of like a cheese, sometimes ham tart. Like, I, I wonder what the difference between a flavor and a scent is in your mind. Okay, so I'll cover the, the tart first. Um, in So I grew up my first 11 years in a tiny village in northern France near the Belgian border, and in that part of the country they have uh, one of their specialty cheeses is called Maroilles, which is known for being a really smelly cheese. It's um, If you know raclette, which is the cheese that you kind of cook uh, communally, um, 
it's sort of a bit like that, but it's much stronger and a bit more feet smelly. Um, <laughs> I love that description <laughs> for food. It's a little feet smelly. It's You're going to enjoy it. <laughs> it's definitely a bit of an acquired taste, and people in the north go crazy about it, and other parts of France are not necessarily quite as crazy about it. Um, and a lot of people have trouble eating it just on its own. I mean, a lot of French people, just it's, it's too much for them. Um, but in the north, it's quite funny. They, for breakfast, will dip that cheese into coffee, which I remember as a kid, when, when you're a kid, you don't really like coffee. And the idea of that super strong cheese into coffee, that was a pretty <laughs> gross idea. But that, that's just kind of how much people love it there. Uh, but they make this tart that's a bit more democratic in its appeal because it kind of softens the cheese, softens the sort of feet aspect of it. Uh, and it's a bit like a quiche, um, and there's a few variations of it, but it'll be it's quite light. You generally have it with a green salad, and it's, it's it can be kind of a light meal, so it's very different use of that that ingredient. Um, but that was definitely sort of the local staple when you thought of what's our specialty in our part of the world. It was tartamawar was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, you almost answered that second question: is <laughs> like what's the difference between scent and and flavor? And it feels like that might not be a good subject for a candle. To light one of <laughs> like that tart on fire. But sometimes you don't want uh, your room to smell like your food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, again, the, these evoked scents. Uh, um, one of my favorite ones that really got me was uh, the hot springs. Uh, having been to Japan and you know in a couple onsen, um, I never even thought about how much yuzu is in the baths and all around. It just feels like the smell of an onsen, but. You know, really breaking it down, seeing the ingredients that you have and the, the perfumes that you have in your candles makes you realize that there are so many components to, you know, being in those hot springs or yeah. being in a space. And that how much thought has gone into creating that atmosphere from, you know, the people who are running the onsen. And that it's, uh, in most cases, a really long tradition that, that kind of got to that point. And, and yeah, I even, so we're, we're really lucky we work with an amazing perfumer who also happened to. Have been to Japan, spent a lot of time in Japan, and so who kind of immediately knew what we were talking about, and it was very easy to explain the concept, and and uh, he knew he knew exactly where to get all the ingredients and, and make it work. Then there's Wood Cabin, which is perfect for this time of season. <laughs> Talk to me about your kind of idyllic moment around either wood fire hearth or you know campfire. I mean, what does that mean to you, both olfactory? You know, at the same time, what would you be eating? Uh, um, yeah, from from a smell sense, I think my my memory of of actually wood cabins is is somewhere probably not that familiar to to people here, which is the Isle of Skye um, in Scotland, which is where my my mother's from, and they still uh, burn peat fires there, and and um, you know, obviously those smoky flavors aspects of whiskey too that sort of are still uh, distilled up there in the highlands um so then you know in combination with that some of the the strangest scottish foods i was brought up on haggis and some of those things that you you can hardly believe people eat like blood pudding my my mother loves blood pudding um or black pudding which is blood pudding (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah quite quite intense uh mixture of smells and tastes when i when i think about sort of my my most familiar cabins yeah i, I mean now knowing about the isle of sky i i can see why you use the glass that you do for your candles and they can also be used as tumblers afterwards because you might need that drink <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh 
the the candles clean out uh, easily and and the the labels have no residue so our, our glasses can be used afterwards and we definitely we were thinking about that sort of overall almost like the ritual that you might have around various things and how you know it starts with lighting a candle but it might end you know a few months later with finishing it and having that well-deserved drink after you've uh, sort of enjoyed enjoyed the many months of pleasure <laughs> excellent on that we're going to take a quick break and come back and burn another one down you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org we'll be right back Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. We are today with Stephen Tracy and Harry Duell of keepbk.com, and that's Keep Candles. And I kind of want to follow up on what you said, Stephen, uh, about ritual, um, because it's about ritual of something so simple as lighting and burning a candle, and you found that very similar to, you know, mastering a craft like bread baking and brewing coffee and how those have grown into, you know, billion dollar industries, too. But they, they've grown into these very beautiful craft and artisan things. Um, how do you work in something so singular like that? What, what are the questions you ask yourself and, and, you know, how do you make that product better? I, I've always been actually drawn to industries that take something that seems inherently simple but then sort of keep obsessing about making it just fraction, you know fractionally better because I think in the long run it does lead to to a better product um, and so I think you know like coffee and bread baking and candles are similar in that they all have a simple set of ingredients that sort of come together to make to make the thing but uh, you know, as we've all experienced, there's you know huge variety in terms of the the end product that you can get. So, I think candles has probably been taken to less of an extreme so far than like maybe coffee, or, or sort of like our baked goods. But I, I think there's just as much room to keep, especially on when you factor in scent, which is just you know the, the billions of scents that you can create with uh, all the things that are available to perfumers nowadays. The sort of uh, we, we have to sometimes stop ourselves, I think, from from not going down the road of creating hundreds of different scents uh, because there's just so much opportunity to, to play and finesse and tweak. Um, yeah. I want to talk about one of your other candles, Waves, and, and, and in that, you know, how you kind of refine the idea of what scents go into a candle. 
um, because that one's a little more poetic than the others. Uh, I, I don't know which one of you told me, but Provincetown at the end of you know a summer in Cape Cod, you know, where the, when the crowds leave and nature remains and it's the last warm days of summer. Um, the others have almost punchier notes to me. Like you have the yuzu in the baths, you have those crisp leaves and wood fire, but this is like this very ephemeral thing. And we all know it. Like I, I can picture it and I can smell it right now, but what is it actually comprised of when you go to a perfumer and say, these are the you know notes that I need? Sure. Um, it's uh, marine, marine notes are, marine fragrances are, are tricky. Um, because that smell of, of water is is hard to th- there, we can't just put water in a in a bottle and, and have it smell you know like a fragrance. Um, so the perfumers use a, a variety of tricks to sort of simulate that effect, and they basically what it comes down to is taking the watery part of a cucumber, the watery part of a, a melon, because each that melon has many facets, and you have sort of the sweet part of the melon, the um, the kind of outside, more rindy part of the melon, and you have the watery part of it, which actually between a cucumber and a melon, that watery aspect, it smells quite similar. Um, so they, they they sort of bring those things together, and then with waves, we really want it to be the sea, uh, and sort of the image we had in our eyes, in our in our minds, was lying down in the sea, sort of looking at the, the sky. And for that, we, we added a few more notes, like um, a star anise, which brings a little bit of, of that almost... A tiny bit of li- licorice feeling. You can't really smell licorice when you smell the fragrance, but when you know it's there, you see kind of what it's doing. Uh, we have some sort of white woods, a lot of some sea salt, a bit of seaweed. At the beginning, we had too much seaweed while we were working on it, and it smelled a bit like dead fish. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy to say that it does not smell like dead fish currently. Um, but for those people that are into that smell, I'm sure you can make a limited edition of more seaweed. <laughs> we might make a dead fish uh, candy. <laughs> You know, it's fascinating hearing you know, the, the spices and, and ingredients that you put in. Has candle making made you a better cook? I'll say that I think thinking about scent, and you were asking earlier about scent and flavor, and, and I was going to get very scientific if you asked, if no, I'd please. answer that question. And please. So to discuss how much of flavor is really scent anyway, which I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but... You know, when you when you taste, you're really smelling as much as, or much more so than actually tasting. And I think it's having an appreciation for scent is sort of this thing that we can all have, but often we just go through the day and 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 don't think about what we're smelling and really take a moment. So I would say I've become more nose aware and actually use my nose more and and enjoy smelling more and it's sort of a fun thing to do. You know, actually to take the time to smell things and consider. Can you spot aspects in the way your clothes smell or things that are familiar? Like, what is it? Like, what is that smell? Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, that transcends to cooking, too. You know, one thing that's kind of driven me nuts about the modern age of restaurants is how good uh, HVAC is, you know, heating, <laughs> ventilation, air conditioning. Um, and those hoods just suck up so much, you know, vapor and smoke that you lose a lot of scent at restaurants. Um, and then, you know, thinking about walking into a known scent, I know exactly what that smells like, and I can recreate that so easily. But when you walk into your favorite establishment, do you, do you feel like you smell in the same way that, you know, you taste? Do you, do you feel like the, 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 I hate to call it odor, but, you know, that olfactory experience is, is there? That's definitely become way more important to me 
uh, over the past few years when I if a place smells sort of bad to me I guess I'm like really I kind of lose my appetite whereas it then used to, to bother me um, but I, it also is more part of the generally I find that restaurants you don't necessarily smell the food or it's maybe a mishmash of the food but for example Roberta's where we're uh, recording right now uh, it doesn't smell like pizza and it smells a bit like a wood cottage with sort of melted cheese it's very alpine almost and I think that creates this atmosphere that right now in winter is really uh, makes you want to get cozy and sit down and uh, yeah I guess we become I've become more aware of that Steve yeah and I think it's an interesting point you make about the choice to remove smell from a cooking environment and whether that was done with with intention of affecting the eating experience um, because I think uh, it does. Like I think, when the scent is present, um, it probably does uh, almost like heighten the enjoyment of the food because you're surrounded by the smell of it cooking. Um, but maybe you know people don't want to leave smelling smelling of the food, and, and we certainly leave the candle studio every day smelling of candles. So <laughs> there's you know that's the drawback. Of, so you guys are not. like the <laughs> best guys to sit next to on the train, rather than that stink train that happens every once in a while. That's you get you guys smell like candles. That's I've actually been funny. identified on the subway by by someone who knew me because they smelled me down the other end of the <laughs> the carriage. Hey, you're, <laughs> the, you're the guy that smells really good on the subway. <laughs> is it any specific candle, or is it like a mishmash of all things happening at once? I think Green Market, actually, it has... We didn't talk about this, some of the elements in there, but there's actually a lot of fresh herbs. Herbs. Sorry. <laughs> it's my, my British. Um, fresh, the fresh herbs in there, really, they, they are scents that tend to stick to a bit more. So, like, there's basil, mint, cilantro are some of the things in there. And so you kind of leave smelling like you've sort of been rolling around in, in a herb garden. <laughs> <laughs> you should have that experience, you know... Uh, you should have people come over to keep and say, well, you can smell the candle or you could just roll around in our herb garden. It's Ooh. the same thing. Wouldn't you rather buy a candle? I would pay for candle? that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would absolutely pay for that. You know, and going back to those, those herbs, um, there, there are so many recipes that have, you know, these significant notes of, of you know, basil, etc. And uh, I think, you know, Harry was telling me about living in Rome for a little bit. And it's the meals of mozzarella, uh, di buffalo, mm -hmm. and uh, having gnocchi alla Sorrentini, Sorrentino. And, you know, that has prosciutto, and that has basil, and I, I believe it has, what, tomato or some uh, kind of... Gnocchi alla Sorrentino. Yeah. Um, it's uh, no prosciutto. It's mozzarella. It's very simple. It's mozzarella, tomato, and basil, and yeah. gnocchi. And it's four ingredients, basically, and olive oil. Um, and I, I feel that was kind of what was amazing about cuisine in Rome, was that... Basically every day there were sort of six ingredients that we just sort of ma mixed and matched together, and that's kind of all we ate. And it was still it was not boring uh, somehow. Yeah, I mean, will you ever go into the kitchen of making candles that are that recipe? P probably not. <laughs> but you get asked that all the time. I mean, what do people suggest to you for your next scent? Hmm. Well, um, we we certainly got a lot of festive ones just you know, in the past few months. But I think looking beyond those and realizing that next festive season there's there's some opportunity there for for those sorts of things. We actually things uh with edible uh elements definitely come in. We've we had a lot of things around figs and berries and things like that. Um which I think um you know, particularly in in sort of New York apartments those 
sort of fresher, cleaner scents work really, really well. But and where you might live and sleep and do everything in in one room, you you need a scent that can work across everything you might be doing in there. Which you know, obviously, when you have your five five story house somewhere else, like you can be a bit more creative across across the rooms with how things might smell. Yeah, and I think we, we've sort of set this expectation of these escapes that are not mono ingredients and that are complex, but that really, you know, when you smell wood cabin, when you're told about wood cabin, you smell it, you're, people are generally like, oh yeah, yep, 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 that's, that's wood cabin. Um, so I think people are kind of looking to us for, we've heard for what's the next, what are the next escapes? And so it's kind of an exciting thing that we're going to launch in the next two, three months. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're going to do rock clad and opera ski at the house, <laughs> light a wood cabin. If you're going to, you know, make donabe and then Japanese food, you should light the hot springs. Uh, you know, if you're going to picnic, not that you carry a candle outside with you, but maybe waves. Yeah, there's definitely they're definitely appropriate for different occasions for sure. Are there specific meals that you've cooked with any specific candle that you can say is a great pairing? I personally, I use. Green market um, while cooking, after cooking, because of those fresh elements in it, it helps. Uh, I, I live in a studio, you know, that one room that I was alluding to before that, that does all functions. And uh, I actually have a pet peeve around, particularly if you're roasting or frying something and then the oils, you know, fly off into the air and next thing you know, everything smells of salmon or, <laughs> and, and, Green Market, uh, with some of those fresh elements, helps to cut through some of that apartment smell that can come from cooking. So that's that's yeah. my personal one. Yeah, I agree. I think for the kitchen, it has this nice aspect of also feeling appropriate that when your kitchen smells like Green Market, it's like a really good-smelling kitchen. But it's still a kitchen. It's not something else. Um, yeah, and I, I'm going to change your, change your life right now about cooking fish in this small, closed apartment. In Papio. Yeah. I mean, in, in paper. That, because for so long, I also had that same problem where I, I love cooking fish but didn't want to because of how it you know, emanated and how, <laughs> how it just resided in the walls for so long. And, and no candle could really cover it up. But and Papio has changed that for me. Or broiling, like a two-minute broil versus you know, cooking on, on the stovetop for you know, 10 minutes really changes the dynamic. But now that I know I can just light a green market candle and, and do all the cooking on the range that I want, you've changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both, Stephen, Harry. And uh, thank you. You know, everyone should start their new year by checking out Keep, that's K-E-A-P-B-K.com. And, you know, maybe buying a green market candle to cover up whatever you just cooked in your kitchen, but also experience hot spring waves and wood cabin. You've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three, a big thank you to corn for sponsoring music by cookies and David for engineering. Cheers. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.